the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This is our very first episode of Wine Ambassadors Corner. We call it the Ambassadors Corner, kind of the fire chat form. And today we have our special guest, which is Michaela Adriano. Ciao, Michaela. Ciao, Stevie. It's a pleasure to be here. And the host with the most, Michele Longari. Ciao, Michele. <laughs> Ciao, Stevie. Ciao, how are you? Okay, where are you now, Michele? Exeter, Devon, UK. Oh, yes, the cosmopolitan of the <laughs> UK <laughs> with Mark Mellon and Michele exactly. Longari. What more do you want out of life? Right? By the way, I've just organized a Nebbiolo tasting with Mark next uh, next month, so I'm looking forward to it because, you know, Mark, uh, as a seller with a lot of interesting stuff, uh, I've been invited. So, you know, I feel uh, like... Uh, the honor to go there. Yeah, make sure he opens up all all of that good stuff, not just, you know, be greedy. Tell them. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is double Michele, Michele. You know, you're going to get people confused. <laughs> I'm not even drunk. I've, I'm kind of detoxing after three weeks of drinking and eating. But so Michele, tell us yeah. a little bit about yourself to our audience who may not know you just as of yet by the way hello to Jody I see Cynthia at home and fermented boss I think that is Hugh Priest of course Angelo Secolo Kevin Lucente hi everyone and happy new year buon anno so Michele give us kind of the skinny of what you're up to and what you're doing yeah so originally I am from Parma Emilia Romagna but uh, I moved to the UK Almost uh, 11 years ago now uh, to do a master program in uh, wine business management. And then uh, uh, nine years ago, I started to work for a company called uh, Haywise. And uh, within Haywise, uh, I am uh, taking care of all our direct imports from uh, uh, Spain, France, and uh, obviously Italy. In uh, July 2022, uh, I became an Italian wine ambassador for uh, uh, Vinital International. Since then, uh, I've been doing uh, a lot of these uh, clubhouse uh, corners because I think they are uh, an amazing opportunity to have uh, an informal chat with uh, uh, winemakers and producers, very informally to ask uh, uh, the question that I think probably people would like to ask uh, during maybe fairs, uh, exhibition or wine tastings, but maybe there is not enough time or uh, they don't have the courage to ask. So I think this is the perfect uh, corner, the perfect moment to do that. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. When I first started way back, I was like, who the hell is going to listen to a podcast, like a geeky podcast for, you know, for an hour, 16 minutes. But believe it or not, this is one of our most popular series, thanks to, of course, all of our Italian wine ambassadors at large. And I would just like to thank everyone for um, contributing to the success of this series. I have also... Um, Laika sitting right next to me. Laika, do you want to say hi? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Michele. Michele, hello. Hi, Laika. Ciao. Yeah, Ciao. of course, Laika is our backstage manager who has become been fully acclimated as the Italian Wine Podcast producer because Joey quit on me finally. <laughs> it took some time, but finally she was like, that's it, Stevie. I'm ready to leave. So now Laika is completely in charge. So yeah. what are we up to, Laika? 
Okay, actually, this is the 120th episode so oh, far, so crap. it's been a lot. And so, uh, Michaela is with Michaela, and she is from Adriano Marco e Vittorio Winery. Excellent. Okay, so this is where I get to ask you, Michele, why did you choose, you know, so many producers, why did you choose Michele Adriano as your favorite producer? Well, I think with Michele, I follow um, the criteria I follow in the previous uh, episodes, and I think they went very well. So I think Michele is truly passionate about wine, but most importantly, I think she's a great uh, communicator. So when I met her uh, recently, uh, I mean, she's very young because she's 28, but she... She looks actually like a teenager. Yeah. I was afraid that she was under of age. I'm like, does she drink and she talk about wine? I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> Barbaresco yeah. makes me young. Yes, yes. I be drinking. <laughs> I need plenty of Barbaresco then. Just give it to me intravenously. <laughs> I think the, the, the way Michela looks is uh, the, the, the greatest advertisement for uh, Nebbiola and Barbaresco, actually, because it's like uh, those tannins and polyphenols are uh, really, you know, uh, making Michela, Michela looking like 10 years younger, probably. So it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. We need to drink more Barbaresco, I yeah, think. Absolutely. Everyone. I'm everyone. looking forward to your conversation. But um, <laughs> why don't you tell us, you know, the good old learning objectives, what we should yeah. expect from your call today with Michela? Yeah, it's in terms of learning objectives, I think that uh, in our interview, I want to make sure that we give uh, a detailed view on, um, first of all, all the Lange wines, the local varieties. Plus, obviously, we will have a deep focus on uh, Barbaresco, the history, tradition, terroir, um, and also the differences between Barol and Barbaresco. Because I think that, uh, I mean, at least from my direct experience uh, here in the UK, there is usually a lot of confusion or at least there are not very clear ideas on what are uh, the main differences uh, and even point in common between uh, Barbaresco and Nebbiolo. So I think that it will be very important if uh, we have a deep focus on that. Oh, that's fantastic. I think actually that's a very good objective. It's almost like... Barolo versus Barbaresco 101 kind of lesson. I, I love it. So I don't know. Like us right here next to me. When does this episode go live? It's going to be at the end of uh, February 1. Of February 1. Yeah. Like it's kind of late. But I wanted to just make sure everybody understood that the Vinital International Academy is coming to New York very soon. It's the 4th to the 6th of March. But of course, you need time to study. So if any of you are interested, please apply now and please help us spread the gospel. We've gone through about 1,300 candidates and 346, I believe. Uh, have been acclimated as the Italian wine ambassadors. Um, So if you would like to join our community, uh, we would love to have you. So, And more information is on vinitaly.com. We are migrating all of our stuff to the main main website, which is vinitaly.com. Okay, then. So, Michele, I'm going to give you the pass over the mic over to you. And perhaps come back towards the end of the session if there are any additional questions from our audience. Okay? Perfect. Yes. Ciao. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Ciao, Michela. How are you? Ciao, Michele. I'm good. You? Yeah, I'm very good. And thanks for uh, accepting our invite today. It's great uh, to have you here. And I'm sure that uh, we will be able to have uh, an interesting conversation about why. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very happy and I will try my best to explain to everyone our region. Okay. Um, Michela, it's, um, let's start obviously with the introduction. So um, can you please uh, introduce to um, our listeners Cantina Adriano, Marco e Vittorio? Uh, where are you? Who are you? What do you do? So Tell us a bit about uh, everything in your uh, hemisphere. Okay. So Adriano is our family name. That's why the name of uh, the cellar, the winery, is Adriano Marco e Vittorio. 
So Marco is my uncle and Vittorio was my father. So that's the name of the family because we are two family working together. And we are based in, um, in Alba. Alba is very famous as the truffle town. So in the heart of uh, Langeria, in the south part of Piemonte. And we are in the only fraction of Alba that is uh, in, still in the area of production of Barbaresco. So actually we are located in the southest part of Barbaresco wine area. My grandparents, they started to make and produce grapes in that area in the 60s. So actually I'm the third generation of this family business. But only my father and my uncle in 1994, they started making wine. So this year we will celebrate 30th anniversary of our uh, business. And so I'm the third generation that is trying to give a value of what they did in the past because they think uh, uh, our family made um, a little piece of the history we have in Lange and in Lange we have so much history. So I'm very proud of them and very lucky to be part of this family and for this job. So of course, it's a family business. So actually, we everyone does everything, but uh, I'm more focused on the communication part and commercial part of the of our business. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks, Michaela. And uh, yeah, um, I think that obviously for the fact that uh, you are in the third generation, so it's uh, uh, at the same time uh, an honor and also. You know, you have a lot of uh, responsibility because uh, uh, the challenges that um, all the winemakers and everyone is facing uh, um, at the moment, uh, I mean, we could talk about the overall uh, global economic situation, um, the climate crisis and everything. So I think that all the young winemakers uh, like you uh, at the moment are facing uh, uh, very important challenges. But I think it's... uh, very good that uh, you know wineries like uh, like yours have uh, people like you with a lot of uh, energy and uh, uh, interested in uh, making sure that everything uh, works so as you mentioned you are obviously in the lange from my experience dealing with uh, the export markets i think that probably is one of the most famous wine regions of italy or at least uh, one of the most uh, popular everyone knows the lange and uh, uh, nebbiolo barbera um but I think that uh, probably it's only partially known by most of wine consumers because uh, there is a huge focus on just maybe one or two grape varieties and uh, maybe two or three wines. But uh, obviously, the Lange is uh, much more than that. So before we uh, start to talk about more in details about uh, Nebbiolo, can you tell us, uh, in your opinion, uh, what makes the Lange region so special? and uh, also, what are the most uh, uh, traditional uh, varieties and uh, wines in the region? I think we we have to start mention the geographical uh, position of Lange because uh, I think uh, one of the many important part uh, of making wine is also, of course, the climate and the area where we are. And I think Lange is very um, lucky because it's. Even if it doesn't seem, but it's very close to the seaside and saying it's very close, it's because it's only 37, 38 kilometers as the crown flies to the seaside, to Liguria, and same distance to the mountains. So we have some protection from the mountains, but also some influence. Mm-hmm. It's same thing from uh, the seaside. So I think this thing already makes a special microclimate in our region. It is uh, with, with very steep hills. It, this makes very, very interesting difference each small valley we can find. So this is thing a thing that is very, very important, I think. The other thing is that 10 million years ago, there was the sea here. So all the clay, all the soil we have, they are all sediments from uh, a very, very, very long in time uh, story that makes a very, very important uh, soils that makes wonderful wines. And then I think the other very, very special reason that makes wonderful wines in Langer are, of course, the people. Because I'm sure that if it wasn't for generation like my grandparents, we now would not be here with this um, 
uh, talking about this area. We are not now drinking these wines because I think that that generation really believe in our area. And even if they did, because maybe it was the only reason to, to survive because they were after the war, it was a very, very poor area here. So I'm speaking about the 50s and the 60s. They did for living, but they did it very well, like uh, in a very Italian, made in Italy way. And they really made something very big that now it's important to keep, preserve and make it better, maybe if we can. So I think uh, the position in the area, the soil and then the people made the Lange very great. And yep. about varieties, of course, now I think Nebbiolo is the king, is the one that everybody knows. But what made also the Lange very great is that there are two indigenous grapes. that they, are, they were very famous, especially for the local consumer, is uh, Dolcetto and Barbera. So mostly used also for very fruity, easy drinking daily wines, but also something a little bit not that famous that is like Freisa or speaking about whites because the other are all reds. Of course, we have to mention uh, Moscato, Moscato Bianco. Thank you for this uh, uh, great panoramic on, uh, on the Lange. And uh, uh, I think that, uh, again, especially when consumers abroad uh, don't have uh, any idea of uh, the proximity of the Lange with the uh, Ligurian Sea. And uh, they don't have any idea of the kind of influence that you can get uh, and the importance of this. Because I think that obviously when we, we talk about, uh, in particular, export markets and people living abroad, maybe they have just an idea of the geography of Italy. So Piedmont normally is considered northern Italy, and that's it. So it's perceived like a very cool the continental climate, full stop. While actually, I think the, the greatest essence of the Lange is the fact that uh, you have these uh, mitigating influences coming from the south. And in particular, obviously, uh, it's something that is very important to uh, obtain the, the wines that we know nowadays. And then uh, thank you also for mentioning people, because I think that uh, uh, it's something we see uh, every time with also other wine regions. I think the importance of uh, two or three generations back and how their ideas and their passion was uh, key uh, in order to make the popularity of wines, uh, the wines we know nowadays. So you actually mentioned uh, great varieties that uh, um, I think are very interesting, are less famous than Nebbiolo. But I think before we move to Nebbiolo, it would be great uh, to have uh, a quick uh, uh, chat about them. So I'm talking about uh, Barbera, Dolcetto and uh, uh, Fraesia, obviously. So you said that uh, locally these three are very important varieties and they have been historically very important for the, in particular, economic growth of, uh, of the region. So I don't want you to talk about all of them in detail because unfortunately we wouldn't have enough time. But uh, my question is, uh, which one, so between Barbera, Dolcetto and Fraesia, which one, in your opinion, is uh, the variety uh, making wines uh, more uh, tailored to the uh, modern wine market. And uh, why? Why is that? Okay, so this is not a very easy question. <laughs> so my opinion is that we, of course, have to consider many different things, like not only the taste of the people that they are going to buy our wines. If uh, we only look at the taste of the people, I would always say Barbera because Barbera is such a wonderful grape, so fruity, with a very nice acidity. So it's a never boring wine. But actually, what is very worrying as a like, producer is that there is a disease in Piemonte that is killing a lot a lot of vines of Barbera. So even when we're planting a new vineyard, we have to be very, very careful where we are planting it if this uh, disease is around because Barbera is really, really um, fragile in these terms, even if it makes wonderful wines and we still want to produce it. Coming back to America, Vinitaly International Academy, the ultimate Italian wine qualification will be held in New York City from 4 to 6 March 2024. Have you got what it takes to become the next Italian wine ambassador? Find out at Vinitaly.com. 
I think Fraiza, even if it's not that famous, can be a very interesting wine for the future because it's fruity, a little bit spicy, good part of tannins. The, and the interesting thing is that it's very resistant to disease. So maybe in the future that we are always working more to understand how to act in our vineyard that is always more challenging with this uh, big uh, um, changing in the climate, maybe Fraiza can be a solution for many vineyards around. And I don't know, I'm very worried about Dolcetto because Dolcetto is really disappearing around. Even if uh, I love it, I'm a Dolcettista. So people that drink so much Dolcetto (laughs) because of our history and because it's a very, very super nice light red wine. But um, I think uh, we will focus more in the future on that varieties that can resist more uh, to the climate and disease. So maybe Fraiza can be a solution, even if now is not so famous and not very known. Yeah, thank you, Michaela. I know it wasn't uh, an easy question, but I think you you gave us a great answer because, uh, um, yeah, actually what I was asking is not only uh, in terms of uh, um, the taste of the consumers, because I agree with you, Barbera is uh, uh, hands down uh, the, you know, a very successful and uh, uh, great variety for the wine it makes. And uh, it will never disappoint in terms of uh, a consumer's taste. But I was also, uh, my question was also uh, referring to the future of wine uh, in terms of the different challenges we are facing nowadays. And uh, um, it's very sad uh, uh, to hear um, when, when I hear winemakers saying about, uh, you know, how difficult it is uh, to grow Dolcetto nowadays, because uh, uh, like you, uh, I really love Dolcetto and I think Dolcetto is a fantastic uh, great variety and wine. Uh, and it's, um, it's something that uh, um, is disappearing, so it's very sad. But uh, I agree with you. I think that uh, Fraiza probably... Um, in terms of, uh, at the same time, uh, uh, how strong it is to grow and uh, the wine it makes, uh, I think it can be absolutely uh, a great variety that uh, can give uh, uh, amazing results in the future. And, uh, um, okay, um, so I think that now we reach the point where we need to talk about Nebbiolo. But before we do that, uh, let me just, uh, I just noticed that there is my archienemy Pablo connected. I need to say ciao, otherwise he's going to send me a message later to complain because I didn't say ciao. Ciao, Pablo. Ciao, Pablo. So, Michela, um, let's talk about Nebbiolo. I don't want to talk specifically about the gray variety and this characteristic because uh, I think it's by far one of the most famous in the world. And as I mentioned before, I think that is one of the most popular grape variety in uh, uh, Italian grape variety, especially uh, in the export market. As I was mentioning to Steve before, I think there is often a lot of confusion within uh, wine consumers on uh, the differences and uh, the points in common between uh, Barol and Barbaresco. And I think that most of the time there is a lot of confusion. And most of the time, um, when people need to buy, let's say, a higher-end Nebbiolo, most of the time they go for Barolo just because it's uh, a slightly more famous name compared to Barbaresco. But uh, also because they don't know the difference between Barolo and Barbaresco. So uh, can you make it clear to our listeners exactly uh, what makes uh, Barolo and Barbaresco different, although they come from the same region and the same variety. Sure. So, actually, Michele, you know how much I love maps, <laughs> so, um, why maps, and so I always use so much them, uh, especially when I have to explain um, the differences between Barolo and Barbaresco or other things about wine areas. But because now you cannot see me, of course, I'm not using any map, but I try my best to make it uh, very easy to understand. Because in Italy, you know, with wines, we are very big, <laughs> famous to make uh, very difficulties to understand things. So, 
But Oliver Baresco, let's start saying that they are made 100% with grape Nebbiolo. So both of them are made with Nebbiolo grape. There are two different geographic areas, both in the Lange area. So let's consider Lange as a big box. Inside Lange, we have two smaller areas, Barbaresco and Barolo, both DOCG wine. So the most important appellation we have in Italy. Uh, let's say that Barolo is like the double uh, area of Barbaresco, more or less, a little bit more. Barbaresco are only for, it's made only with four uh, villages. In Barolo, you can find 11 villages. So let's already keep in mind that Barbaresco is smaller and Barolo is uh, bigger. Uh, if of course, if you want to make Barbaresco or Barolo, you have to start from the vineyard. That It needs to be in a biolo. Inside the area that is Barolo or Barbaresco, it depends which one you want to make. And then it, it cannot only be the vineyard, but then you have to follow specific process in the cellar. We always have minimum months aging in the cellar and minimum months aging in food barrels or barrique. So Barolo is always one year less than Barolo. Barolo is always longer in the aging. So let's make uh, an example. Like this year, so now January 2024, you can find the market, the last release of these wines, you can find Barbaresco 2021 and Barolo 2020. So Barbaresco is released after three years and Barolo after four years. This is the first difference. So Barolo always needs more time. Uh, why it needs more time? This can be the next question. I think it's not mostly about the soil. There is a little bit difference in the soil, but actually the soil is mostly the same. The biggest uh, difference you, you can find in the microclimate. Barbaresco compared to position of Barolo is more on the east, a little bit warmer climate, a little bit less rain and precipitation. So this means that the grape it's ripe a little bit uh, earlier than the grape in Barolo. In Barolo, we have a little bit cooler climate with a little bit more rain, and this makes the harvest of Nebbiolo in Barolo normally now 10 days later. In the past, it was also 15 days or 20 days later. So because of this difference of the period, it can really change a lot the characteristics then in the wine. So actually, with the cold weather, Nebbiolo grapes react having more tannins, more structure. That's why then you need more aging to have a smoother wine. So Barbaresco is released before because it's a little bit lighter in the structure. I, I'm not speaking about quality. Quality is always very high. I think uh, all the producers of Barol Barbaresco are very proud of what we are doing all together about this area. The quality you can find is very high. So this is really only differences speaking about structure, tannins, and how deep these wines are. They are both wines that you can age for a very, very long time, but maybe Barbaresco you can start to drink a little bit before than Barolo. These are very big differences I'm making, but then, of course, if you go in details in a small vineyard or different style of producer, it can change. I mean, if you now open a bottle of Barolo 2020, you can drink, of course, because 2020 was amazing vintage to be drink young. Same thing as Barbaresco. But as to make you clearly uh, understand these differences, I would say Barbaresco is a bit easier to approach. Barolo needs maybe sometimes a bit more time or is a little bit more deeper. But um, they are brother of the same family. This uh, is how I feel these two wines. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Michaela. I, I think that uh, you made it very clear what is... Uh, obviously, 
Barolo and Barbaresco have a lot of points in common uh, and just uh, a few differences. But I think those differences are uh, very important to create uh, very different styles of, uh, of, uh, of wine. And it's, um, um, I think this is something very important because, uh, I mean, the main difference, as, as you mentioned uh, and uh, uh, you explained very clearly, is the fact that obviously in Barolo, uh, Nebbiolo takes a bit of more time uh, to get the full ripening. So obviously this, these uh, 10 days uh, are very important to, you know, get more concentration and tanning. So this is, the, I think, the key difference. So uh, they are both brothers, as, as, as you said, uh, but then uh, Barbaresco uh, has, uh, let's say, a more easy drinking character. And uh, this is why I wanted you, uh, because I remember when uh, we last met, I think it was uh, uh, in Italy 2023, uh, and I remember you showed me all your maps, and it was great. And I remember we had a conversation about this, because uh, uh, I explained to you that uh, um, the, the one of the issues I was facing in terms of uh, selling Barbaresco here in the UK is the fact that uh, it is less known compared to Barolo. And uh, sometimes when you have people looking for a higher-end uh, Nebbiolo from uh, the Lange, they go for Barolo, and that's it. Many times, uh, maybe, they are not uh, ready yet to enjoy Barolo. This is why I always try to have a conversation with our clients to say, uh, have you already tried Barolo or do you want... Uh, and if uh, it's their first time that they try an important uh, Nebbiolo from, from Piedmont, I always, always try to convince them to try Barbaresco first because I think that Barbaresco is the perfect uh, gateway that can bring a lot of consumers into this, uh, uh, into this world. And uh, otherwise, uh, uh, many times I had uh, uh, customers going straight for, you know, Barolo. And I mean, Barolo, obviously, is a fantastic wine. But if uh, that is uh, the first uh, uh, time you try that kind of Nebbiolo made wines, then maybe it can be probably too much. So I always try to encourage people to try Barbaresco because I think it's a fantastic wine for people to start to understand this uh, uh, fantastic world. And uh, so let's continue our chat, Michela, uh, talking about uh, your own Nebbiolos, because obviously Cantina Adriano, Marco e Vittorio uh, has always put a lot of focus to uh, Barbaresco. And uh, um, what kind of style and approach are you following? your winery is following. And uh, uh, also, um, since I noticed that in the chat, uh, uh, Pablo, my friend Pablo, was mentioning your uh, crew, Bazarin, which actually is uh, pretty famous. What makes your uh, Bazarin also so special? Yes, thanks, Pablo, for saying that you really like it. I'm very happy. Um, So we make four different wines with Nebbiolo grapes. One Lange Nebbiolo and three different Barbaresco. We decide to have a very different style of Lange Nebbiolo. So our Lange Nebbiolo compared to our Barbaresco, it's focused on the fruity part of this grape. So uh, we sell it young. Now we are selling, we starting to sell it now, 2022. No food aging to really focus on the fruity part. So very, very um, uh, aromatic uh, bouquet and taste and also a crunchy part from the tannins. But uh, because uh, having three different Barbaresco, we want to focus on the strong part of Nebbiolo in the Barbaresco. But with Lange Nebbiolo, we want to tell people that you can also make uh, easy drinking uh, young fruity red. And so that's a long and a beautiful style. Speaking about Barbaresco, uh, we do so three different Barbaresco. Two of them are made in uh, in the crew Bazarin. It is uh, our most inf- famous uh, crew, of course. And the other one is a Barbaresco that we call Sanadaive. So Barbaresco Sanadaive. So actually, the vineyards we have in Barbaresco area, they are in two different areas. 
one area where we add them, they are just in front of our cellar and that they are in the fraction I was mentioned before. It's the only fraction of Alba that can produce Barbaresco. So the southest valley in Barbaresco area. The name is a little bit long. It's uh, San Rocco Senodelio. That's the name of this tiny part Valba here. And so the name of our Barbaresco, Barbaresco Sanadaive, actually this word is a translation in our dialect, our Piemontese, to translate the name of this small area. Because on that Barbaresco, we want to focus on the features of this small valley. Because here we have uh, a colder climate with um, more sand in the soil that makes a very easy drinking, fruity and mineral Barbaresco. Very, very easy to approach, even when it's very young. And very different characteristic we find then in Bazarin in the crew. This crew, it's uh, quite a big crew. It's a very steep crew. It's 40% slope. So very, very good for Nebbiolo grapes because Nebbiolo grapes, they love to be in the steep hills. And it's in a different area. It's like seven kilometers far away driving, but of course, um, not very far if you just flew there. And it is in another village. It is in Naive, where we only have clay in the soil. It's a warmer area. Here, the Barbaresco we got, it's much more deep, more stronger, more complex. So because we have so differences in the soil, in the microclimate, so the terroir, it's very, very different. We decide that in the cellar, we have no differences. So the winemaking process for both Barbaresco, it's always the same. Because we love and we are fascinated by the differences of the vineyard and what we can find in the vineyard. And so we want to underline uh, this, making the same approach in the cellar. And in the cellar, we want to be very traditional. We don't want to work too much with our grapes. So we want to be very light. So all fermentation, all first six months, they are in the stainless steel tank, all spontaneous uh, natural fermentation. And then the aging is always in big barrel. So we don't want to leave taste of wood in the wine. So we use the most light way to age the wines. So large cask for 12 months and then aging for minimum six months in the bottle. So we like to be very, very traditional in the cellar to be very focused on the feature we can find in the vineyard because for us, the 80% of the style of our wines is made always in the vineyard. And the third Barbaresco I was mentioning is always made in Barzarin Cru, but is a selection we do in the vineyard of the heart of this vineyard with the best grape. We don't make it every year, only in the year, in the vintages, we think they are good to age for a very long time. And that is our Barbaresco Bazarin Reserva. So for us, the Reserva is not only a matter of longer aging, but really an importance of choosing the best grape that they can have a very long life as a wine. And then uh, it's a longer fermentation, longer process than in the cellar. And we only release after many years. Like, for example, last July, we bottled our Barbaresco Baza in Reserva 2019 vintage. And we are going to release it in July 2026. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. And uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, what you explain about... Uh, the winemaking of your Barbarescos and the fact that uh, you follow exactly the same uh, winemaking process and techniques uh, and uh, you let uh, uh, terroir express itself. I, I think it's something that is, uh, um, it's amazing because obviously it's the only way where we can let uh, uh, terroir express uh, um, itself. And uh, I think it's something very, very, very important. And, uh, um, I've got uh, 
One last question, uh, uh, Michele, about wine. And then uh, if you are okay with that, I would like to talk with you about a couple of uh, uh, interesting projects that uh, uh, you are involved with. First, uh, one last question about uh, wine itself. Um, so last time we met, again, I think it was uh, in Italy last year, uh, I noticed that you've got a couple of uh, white wines uh, under screw cup. Um, what is your view on this uh, very hot topic? And do you think actually the wine market will have uh, uh, eventually to completely shift uh, to um, valid alternatives to um, natural cork? Starting from the end, uh, I don't think uh, the wine world will shift 100% to different uh, cork. But I think natural cork would always cover a percentage on the wine closure because I think it's, uh, of course, part of the culture. And for some very important wines, it's always something very unique to use. But of course... Not all the wines are the bo- most important wines only for occasion. So I think for uh, easy drinking wine, uh, something you want to open um, every day or just with your friends, nothing, no big deal. Uh, sometimes we have to think about different closure because it's always so hard to find very, very good quality cork. So um, sometimes for us, like producer, it's uh, so uh, irritating that you work so much to make a good wine. And then when you open the bottle, it's corked. So, of course, sometimes uh, we have to change that. I think a wine like Barbaresco will always have natural cork, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in 10 years it will change and we will have screwed up even on that. Uh, I don't know. but. By the way, we are doing a small experiment for our um, consumption and we are doing some bottles of Barbaresco with screw cup to see how it changes, how it evolves. We start making experiments with screw cups in 2020 uh, and we started with whites. We did with uh, Moscato d'Asti, with our dry Moscato, with our Sauvignon Blanc, with our Dolcetto d'Alba and Barbera d'Alba. Because we loved it so much, now our Moscato Dusty and Dry Moscato, they only have screw cap. And on the other wines, because we sell a lot in Italy, and Italy is not a market very ready <laughs> to, the, to this idea, we still have part in cork and part in um, screw cap. What I think is that it's a very, um, screw cap is something very interesting to me because as all the cork you can find in the market, you can have a very high quality screw cup or you can have, of course, a cheap one that is not giving you what you need. So it's always very important to choose the best one for your wine and for your bottle. It was very impressive with um, our wines because like 2020, we decided to try three different corks on our dry Moscato and then we tasted same wine, same day of bottling, just different cork. Um, one was crew cap and then two different type of cork. And in a blind tasting, we all prefer, so 100%, we were 10 people, this crew cap. Because with some wines, maybe it can be more interesting. And it, it was like with the, with the Moscato. So like in Italy, the idea that people give to a screw cap is like, I'm not buying that bottle because screw cap means it is a cheap wine because the history um, told them that screw cap was something very cheap. So something very not good quality. But I think we have to change that idea. I think uh, um, the young generation really believe more in what they have inside the bottle, uh, respect of what's outside. And think, uh, I think this is the important focus. And I think with the screw cap, you can have very big, big surprise. So I think we'd be a closure to cover a big percentage in the wines. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michaela. And uh, uh, I think it's great that uh, you are doing some, uh, you know, experiments, long-term experiments also on um, on Barbaresco, because I think that uh, 
uh, although as you mentioned in some markets like uh, you know the Italian market, uh, screw cap is always perceived in the wrong way. But uh, I think it's important that at least uh, uh, there is uh, a work being done in terms of uh, you know research and see how actually this uh, kind of closure um, can work on the long term. In particular, on uh, you know big wines like uh, like Barbaresco. So this is. Uh, uh, actually, very, very good news. And uh, yeah, so now, Michaela, actually, I would like, uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about uh, um, your, uh, some of your side activities and projects uh, that uh, uh, you take care of when, uh, let's say, you are not around the world selling wine or working in the vineyard in the cellar. So I'm talking about uh, your involvement in the uh, Sbarbatelle Association, but also uh, I'm talking about your recent collaboration with the social enterprise uh, Otto Pari, 8 Pari. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, both of them? So the Sbarbatelle and also uh, your collaboration with uh, Otto Pari. What are they, their aims and uh, what it means for you, this kind of collaboration? Yes, sure. So um, Sbarbatelle is... Um, it was born in 2017 as an event. It was born from the Italian uh, Sommelier Association here in Piemonte. And uh, me with other wine uh, makers, always, always women, we were proving that the wine world in Italy is not only a man's world, but also a woman's world. So Italy, it was born like a small events, but year after year, it always became so important that um, now actually Sbarbatelle, there is a, a group of us that uh, is working to make a, an association. So I don't know the times, but soon we will have an association called Sbarbatelle, where we are all women winemakers, uh, very young, because we are all under 40 years old. And this is uh, to send a big message uh, that um, it's not only men that they can make wine, but also women are making a lot of good wines. And uh, of course, uh, we still keep our, our event. One event will be in Rome very soon. It will be 18th of February. And the, the big, the official event is here in Piemonte in a wonderful location. It is in um, Marchesi Alfieri in a wonderful castle. It will be uh, in the half part of June. And so I'm very happy to be part of this because uh, many times, because uh, I'm a young girl, <laughs> I had problem proving that I could explain or I could make some wine to people, but finally times are changing. So we now have tools to prove uh, the opposite. And this is one thing. The other thing is a project that is here in Alba, Otto Pari, that's the name. It's something quite new for us. We started with this project uh, in 2021, so almost three years. So actually, this is a um, social project that uh, I'm very happy to, to collaborate with, where we can give the opportunity to, to people with some problems, fragile people uh, with some uh, psychological uh, problems to work, that uh, they are part of this uh, small cooperative. They cannot be hired from the companies, but they work in uh, this uh, small team called Otto Pari. And so every day they go in a different cellar to work um, for hours. So like in our cellar, they come to work on Friday. So every Friday they come to work with us. And so the result of this collaboration made two different wine that they sell and they distribute right now only in Italy, but maybe in the future also in the export market to to give the opportunity to these people to say like, I work. And this gives a lot of helps in the, their emotion and psychological uh, balance and also give them also a salary because uh, the cooperative can hire them and can pay them. 
So it's a very, very small thing that we do in our community, but I'm, I'm very happy to do it because we met wonderful people. Now there are four uh, guys coming that uh, they are wonderful and they are making very, very interesting moments on Fridays. And, uh, and it's, it's magic because they can do, they do everything. So not only cellar, but also vineyard and everything. And so it's a very, very nice project that we like to support. Yeah, Michaela, I wanted to uh, ask you a question about uh, both Sbarbatelle and Otto Pare because uh, I think it's, uh, it's great when the world of wine can also do something, uh, something more than just making wine, which obviously is something that is great. But I think that is very important when, uh, you know, winemakers and people like you that uh, already have a lot of work to do and uh, a lot of challenges, but then uh, you go above and beyond, and you try also to make a difference uh, uh, using wine in different ways. So uh, I wanted to ask you a question because I think it's uh, great. So, uh, Michela, I've got uh, one last question for you, because then I would like to leave uh, at least uh, five minutes uh, if we have any question or if Stevie herself has a question for you. So my last question to you is, uh, listen very carefully. I'm going to give you Three options, okay? So, web and social media, first option. Public relation and press, second option. Or uh, wine tourism and hospitality, third option. So, if uh, you were given uh, enough resources, and I'm talking about uh, don't uh, worry about uh, time and money, um and you wanted to invest, you, you could only invest on uh, one of these uh, marketing channels. Uh, what would you do and why? Okay, so not very easy because, you know, a business needs all of them, but you, you say that they have to choose one, only one. Okay, uh, I think I would say one tourism hospitality because maybe first option was social media but actually we live in a world our work is to make something a product and this product it's wonderful when you taste with people and you make people taste so it's always important to touch people speak people with really in in, in your life it's not something only on uh, social media that you can promote so i would say one tourism and hospitality because um you really want that the people want to understand what's behind the glass, not only drinking the glass and enjoy the wine, but it's very important, I think, that they can live, understand 360, what you're doing, and and really try to explain them all your passion yeah, for that work and everything happened in the history of your family and that area. So even now we... Even if we don't have a lot of time, we try to do our best when people come to visit us because for us it's really an experience that lasts almost two hours because you see I like to speak a lot. <laughs> but to me it's very important that when people go away, then you they really feel that they, la- they lived something. So it's not only a drink, but much, much more. So I would do that. So very, very important that people visit you. Yeah, Michela, thank you. And uh, so I always uh, uh, like to ask this question at the end of my interviews here in uh, Clubhouse uh, uh, Corner. And uh, uh, I must say that uh, for the moment, uh, 100% of the people I interviewed, they all gave me the same answer. So um, it looks like everyone uh, would invest on uh, hospitality. And... uh, Personally, I think it will be the right choice because obviously, yes, public relation, press, web and social media are extremely important. But probably in, as uh, winemakers and wine producers, it's much more important that uh, you are able to uh, have people coming over and experience your winery. So I think that uh, uh, at least this is how I got so passionate uh, in the first place about wine was uh, not by just uh, browsing uh, the internet, but bo- was by visiting vineyards and having uh, 
a proper chat with winemakers and wine producers. This is, uh, I think, the best uh, way to do that. And uh, okay, Michela, thank you very much. I have uh, finished my question and think it was uh, a great conversation. Thank you very much. Uh, now I'm going to leave uh, leave it to Stevie uh, if you have uh, any questions, and uh, I will mute my mic. First of all, congratulations. What a great questions. We don't have very much time, but Michele, first of all, your last question was, yes, very good question, like, like I said, but very cheeky, I might add, because it's quite difficult. Yeah, it is very difficult because, uh, I mean, I think those three marketing channels at the moment uh, are uh, all three of them are extremely, from a strategic point of view, extremely important. But then I think that uh, the three different channels are important for different uh, professionals. And uh, I think that uh, wine producer, they always go for uh, hospitality because I think they all love uh, having people around to show their wines and uh, the winery together. So, yeah, I know it's a cheeky question, but I think it's, uh, uh, it's an important question to ask when you have an opportunity to have a chat with a producer. Yeah, and, and all of your producers, they've opted for hospitality? Yes. So I think this is my fifth or sixth ambassador corner. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, uh, all of them uh, went for uh, hospitality. Yes. Wow. That's interesting. That's very good. Michaela, thank you very much. I do have one tiny question before we end. So Michaela, yeah. so you're so young. It, it's impresses me to be quite honest. I can be your mom, but that's, that's another story altogether. We don't have time for that today. Um, <laughs> but you are so young. In within in Piemonte, are do you hang around with other young uh, winemakers and young wine producers and wine people? Like do you gather together? Is there a collectiveness? Um, I don't know, collective creativity or do you have a social gathering? I mean, are you folks united or are you pretty much each to his own? No, no, I'm very lucky because our generation is really, really good friends. We are always together and that's amazing because imagine only when uh, we travel for our work, we normally share the car or maybe we are on plane flight that sometimes helps <laughs> to to spend the time together or we just share the hotel. Sometimes uh, when you travel a lot, it's very expensive and helps. Or what also we do, that's, that's my favorite part. Or like this is how we spend my Thursday night in two days is that we do a lot of blind tasting together uh-huh. to learn a lot about wine. Sometimes with a theme like once we did, okay, let's study this crew of Barolo and we bought uh, a bottle of each producer making that crew and then we shared the bill uh, and we did all blind tasting of that 15 wines to really understood the feature of that wine because, you know, in blind tasting is always a big discovery of everything or sometimes we just do for fun to practice more because tasting is always so important. So our generation right now is really connect. We speak a lot about the area and what's important to do. Or like even we have a WhatsApp group that we are like 70 young producer. Sometimes even if uh, you have problem with some uh, clients or with a supplier, we try to support each other. And I don't think... Uh, many area does that or in the past i know that like uh, my grandfather a generation there were more fights than collaboration but now it's uh, a lot about friendship this is fantastic to end this talk with a very optimistic positive note thank you so much michaela for joining us and michaela for having organized this call laika are you on I'm here. Hi, okay. Stevie. Like yes. So what's going on next? The next one is on Thursday at 4.30 p.m. So we have Valentina here, one of our audience, and she will be interviewing Gianmarco Viano of Hacienda Agricola Montemaletto. Okay, excellent. So see you all Thursday. That's two. two. So of course, we're back and Laika will put me to work. 
Ok, ciao ragazze, alla prossima. Ciao, Grazie mille. Thank you, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.